0: Ladies and gentlemen, we are back and we are live. It is Jake Watson and Danny O'Donnell. A package deal usually comes in a set of two, and it's equal halves. And just like you will be made whole with election performance using our discount code OpenGuardCast25 so that when you squat and you do bicep curls, you feel the pump. You feel the rage in your heart being replaced with gains so that when you go on the competition (laughs) mat and you go to impress your crush, you are not left empty-handed. You are going to go out there and destroy your competition and steal her heart. Election Performance is the name that we are using here, and uh, my name is Jake Watson. I'm joined by Danny O'Donnell. We are joined by the owner of EUG Promotions, Hector Vasquez, and our guest today is world champion Shane Hill-Taylor, who is also the Spider Korea champion, and uh, man, I'm looking at your resume right now. I'm seeing a bunch of submissions, kind of freaking me out. If I was lighter, I'd be scared, but I'm glad I'm fat, (laughs) so so glad that you have joined us today. What a lengthy intro, but uh, thank you for joining the show, guys.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. All right, well, hey, you know we got a lot we got a lot to uh, go over. We want to start, and I'm going to let Danny take the wheel here. Um, the EUG promotions coming up. Uh, all the fights are announced. We're out here. Uh, Hector's put together an amazing show. We're in close communication with him. Uh, Open Guardcast is the official podcast of the event, which is awesome. We get to do all the media. And uh, Shane, want to hear your thoughts? Uh, what is it? How are you? How are you? I'll let Danny take the the educated questions here in a second. But I just want to know how are you feeling leading into this event.
1: I'm feeling good. I haven't competed since, uh, I want to say, November 2019, so it's been a lot of training, you know, trying to get, had to pull out of a few tournaments, you know, because of the pandemic and things, so I've just been in the gym, staying ready, you know, for anything, and I was, I was excited to get the call for this promotion, you know, I was ready to jump into it and get back on the mat, so I'm excited, it's a nice card, a lot of tough competitors, I want to say I fought everyone, on the card at least once except for andy so i already know that everyone in the division is super tough It's going to be a bunch of crazy matches all
2: right yeah that was actually what i wanted to ask you about because going through like jake said i was just going through your bj heroes looking at your record rewatching a bunch of the matches that you had with these guys some of them were really close some of them you got submissions like are there any particular competitors that you're really looking forward to having a rematch with or anyone who you just feel like is a really good style matchup and someone that you want to mix it up with
1: um i don't really look for styles you know especially in my weight like there's a pretty set pace and and way things kind of go and i'm kind of a little bit against that in a way like i don't really like to do a lot of the sitting down and things i'm all for the action so the rule set for this event kind of promotes how i like to do jiu-jitsu you know fighting for scores and the only reason you're scoring is because you want to submit the guy and get to a better position so i'm just ready to go i don't really care who i fight you know there's been matches like uh, the people I've only fought once, like Mateus Gabriel. We had a really crazy match at Pans last year. Yeah. And that was actually the last big IBJGF I was able to do was back in 2019 with him. So I'm excited to possibly get that match back. And, you know, I've fought Gianni a lot of times. I've lost the last few times. I've fought uh, Janata. I've lost to him. You know, so I've had a lot of tight matches with all these guys. I'm just excited to show my growth, you know. I go back and watch all my matches with these guys, and I'm just like disgusted in how my game was then to now. So I'm excited to go out there and show my growth in in my game.
0: Yeah, that's the competitor curse, isn't it? Looking back on your old matches, and you're like,
1: oh, Oh, what was I doing? Yeah, I watched my match with Mike
0: Lear Jr., and I do the same thing.
1: Yeah, it's (laughs) good that you, if you can look at your old matches and feel that way, because that shows like the growth, even on just the mental side of where you were to where you are now. So I'm excited to be able to, to go out and show that.
3: For yeah, sure. That's really yeah.
2: Cool. yeah, that's awesome. Hector, I kind of wanted to get your some comments from you on uh, uh, what Jamil said about like his attacking style and, and really going for the kill and really trying to advance his position. Like, how do you think the rule set kind of plays into the style of Jamil and and also the other competitors on the card too?
3: Yeah, um, man, Jamil goes for it. I mean, obviously he he competed against my my professor ran and that was a war. You know, he, they were going back and forth. You know what I mean? Um, Again, that's one of the reasons we wanted to change the format because that's we want action. And I think ten minutes would have been just like there's a filling out process for three minutes, and it's just like okay, there's nothing going on, and then all of a sudden they're going. So I think with the format of no having no advantages, either you pass or you didn't pass, that's going to be good. Um, The stalling, the double guard pulling, you know, somebody comes up, they get they get two, you know, stuff like that. And I think it's going to be make the whole fight just, you know, make these guys go. And especially the, the strategic part of being, let's say you're up two, and then the other person is down. It's going to make them want to come up and score because the last person that scores wins, you know, and now you're not leaving it up to the refs. Nobody's feeling that, oh, he's biased and all that. And uh, I think it's going to be amazing for, for Jamil in those situations. So I think, I think it's just going to bring the best out of everybody. And it's going to be a fast pace.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely looking forward to it, especially with, uh, like you said, the rule change and this weight division. I mean, the plan that you have laid out for, um, you know, how how tournaments are going to look in the future. uh, And it's a very unique thing, I feel like. And to hit the ground, like I remember we were talking a little bit before the podcast started, hit the ground hot like you chose a fat division like this is a hardcore mix of competitors. Uh, I'm really excited to see how it plays out. And, I, and you know, Jamil, I actually want to get your thoughts on this because this is very exciting for me. The way that the fights are going to be chosen with, like, the bingo balls. Uh, yeah. Hector, have you explained that to every competitor already?
3: I, ha- I have a little bit. I, unless they saw it on the podcast, I don't think I, I sent them. But we're not going to sit in the back room and have ten people decide who's going to be on what side. No, no, no. We're going to put eight bingo balls in the little machine, and we're gonna turn it. They're gonna get. Uh, they're just gonna turn away, look away. They're gonna stick their hand inside there, and they're gonna pick their own poison. So whatever number you grab, that's where your name will be on that bracket. So that way, nobody thinks, "Oh man, I got the rear end of the stick." Oh, he's being biased to Isaac and none of that. No, no, no. Pick your own poison. Let's go do work. Simple. Yeah. What do you think, Jamil?
1: I, I love it. You know, it, it adds another layer of excitement. You don't get to a game plan you know you you can only work on yourself and make sure you're the best version of yourself going to this tournament and that's how i like to train i never really i've never put a strategy in for any specific match you know i just work on building my game and being able to go beat any and everybody i don't really even look at the brackets when i get put into divisions. i just go fight so for me this is perfect you know there's you never you don't know who you're going to fight you just have to be ready to go against anybody
3: exactly and especially you're not gonna know until you get to weigh in, until after you weigh in. So, you've got what, maybe
1: 24 hours to you're gonna know. Who yeah, you, you don't are. you don't have time to strategize. You've gotta, you got to you got to go go get ready to scrap and just beat people. You know, you don't get the time to try to figure out a strategy to beat specific people. You got to be ready to go to war. Yeah.
0: You got to be like more focusing on your fundamentals. I feel like, like you have to be all around better to fit everybody rather than a super fight or even perhaps knowing who you're going to fight first. Okay. I at least know that I got to deal with this. It forces you also, I feel to study more. So every, every bit of attribute that a fighter has to have going into a regular tournament is enhanced because you could literally fight any of these guys based on a chance, like on, on a random selection. So I think that that's a very, very interesting thing. I'm surprised no one's done that yet, but I'm – shoot, I'm pretty excited for it.
2: Definitely. So I want to go back to one thing you, you mentioned earlier, Jamil, about having to pull out of some tournaments because of COVID. Um, I know I think it's been pretty similar for a lot of people. Some people have been able to compete, but for the most part, people haven't been as active as they normally are. So do you think that plays into uh, – I don't know about the strategy, but how do you feel like that impacts the competitors in this tournament having not been as active the past year and a half, let's say?
1: Um, you may you may see a little bit more like uh people going really hard in the first few minutes of the match just because they're getting, you know, that that anxiety to compete for the last year and a half for some people for me it's it's been since the end of 2019, so you may see some people being really anxious to get out on the match and things like that, but everyone's professional, everyone's I mean like everyone in this division is a seasoned competitor. So I, you, I don't think it's going to be too much of that. You know, like for me it has been, I had health and I was injured and having health issues all through 2019. And then I get healthy and then 2020 comes around and the week before I'm supposed to go compete at pants, everything gets shut down. So, you know, for me, I just been training, you know, it was a, a little bit of a time, maybe a few, four months where I couldn't do anything. We were on stay at home orders or whatever, but since I've been able to train, whether I'm training in the garage or training at the gym or training outside, I've been doing everything I can just to improve on myself. So I know for me personally, I don't feel like I've lost a step at all. I feel like I've still gotten better and improved in my jujitsu. I just haven't been able to prove that to the world, you know, because I haven't been able to compete.
3: For sure.
2: So you guys have any more questions related to uh, the EUG event or do you want to jump into some of Jamil's uh, background and his training history, stuff like that?
3: Let's focus on Jamil. Let's give Jamil the, the stage. Let's do
2: it. <laughs> All right. All right.
3: Like, as, a, as a promotion, like we need to start helping the guys that have put in the work and the miles to get the exposure they deserve, you know, and the respect that they deserve. I feel like sometimes the promoter, like we, we were talking about it the other time, you won't yeah. see me in no suit at this place. You're going to see me in tennis shoes, making sure these guys, Hey, are you ready? How you feeling? You know, that's the way it should be. You know, all, all that other stuff trying to take the, the 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 attention from all these guys that put in the work. That, that's just too much. So again, uh, let's give these guys the opportunity. this is why I, I, I like you guys at, at Open Guard, you know, Cast, because you guys, you know, it's all about the fighters, and mm-hmm. that's why you know I chose you guys as as the exclusive, because I want you guys to give these guys the attention they deserve. So.
0: Oh, I'm wearing a suit. I don't know if you, uh, <laughs> you picked that up yet. I'm wearing a freaking suit. Go see the and run it. We are the open guard cast, but whew, boy, you better believe I'm coming. I'm coming correct, man. I represent Danny O'Donnell over here. Are you kidding me? This guy's like my this guy's like my my friend slash dad. Um so Danny Take it away. <laughs>
2: yeah, so uh, Jamil, I, I know we were talking a little bit like over Messenger about having a bunch of your teammates on. We had Malachi, we had Vanessa Griffin, we had Array. So one thing that I, I find really interesting about your team is a lot of you guys came up under Master Donnie and his kids' program. So do you want to talk a little bit about him and kind of what sets his kids' program apart from, from, some, from some, what are the other schools are doing?
1: Um, I think the first thing that stands out is we're not a jiu-jitsu gym. We're, we are a martial arts academy. When you come in as a kid, you don't just learn to compete and to do jujitsu moves. We're learning to do self defense, character development. You know, like we're not, you don't come in and get a, you don't even get a grappling gear. You get more of a karate gear when you first start. So my first experience here was the discipline, the focus, learning to defend myself, learning how to strike and things like that, and just the martial arts side of everything. And then once you show shown that dedication to, the program into building yourself and you've earned your way onto the advanced program, which we call our master club, that's when you're able to start competing. If you want, you know, like we don't push competing on anybody. So the kids that want to compete and really take a passion to it, you know, that nobody's being forced. Everyone that's on our competition team wants to be there or else they would have just been in the regular program, you know, so everything's earned and I just feel like the way we come up, it's very close knit. It's like a family. You know, it doesn't really feel like a team here. From the second I came in to the kids program, my first week of summer camp, which is what I started in, it just felt like a very strong family environment. And I built I built friendships that I still have from my first week of camp to this day. So I feel like that's just kind of something that's unique for here. You know, like it's not a we're not we don't operate like a an athletic team. We operate like a family in a martial arts group and teaching these kids and learning how to be good people first and foremost, and everything else comes secondary to that.
2: Yeah, I definitely noticed like when we see your team at tournaments, like everyone, it seems more like a family than it does, like you said, like a a sports team with like a manager or something like that. And also the other thing that caught my attention was you said you focus a lot on like the discipline, the focus, almost like building the mindset so that that's kind of your foundation for then if you want to get into the competition, you already have the the correct mindset going into what that tough training is going to be like.
1: Yeah. And even with that, like the people that I grew up with, some of the guys, I still am close with people that are like still my brothers that don't even compete anymore, but they were able to take those concepts and that character building and learning the importance of hard work and not expecting things to be given and put that into any aspect in their life and be able to go excel in any other field that they go into, you know? So just being able to apply those concepts, they, we don't force anyone to compete, like I said. So if you grow up, you compete up until 16, and now you want to go play basketball or, or go be an artist or something, you're still able to put those concepts towards that and be able to excel in that. And I feel like that's a big thing that we have here, and it keeps everyone like I'll see people coming to the gym that haven't trained in years. They're still coming by to, to hang out and uh, and it's a family thing, you know?
2: Yeah, that's amazing. Forging lifelong friendships too. Yep. That's awesome. So another thing that I think is really unique about your team is that I feel like you guys are all really innovative with your styles. Like Malachi has his clothes guard, things he's good at. Uh, Vanessa Griffin, really good at like the knee cut. Like I feel like all you guys kind of have a pretty unique and interesting style. So would you say that coming up, you guys started focusing on that stuff earlier or was it more like you built your foundation first and then you kind of branched out from there after you kind of find this, found the this stuff that you liked?
1: Um, I mean, the way our kids program operates is the same way our adult program operates, where it's everyone's going to be learning whatever the concepts that are being taught for that month or that time period. And we're working on adding everything from our basics to the more advanced techniques. But No one's forcing you to add things to your game. You know, we're all allowed to grow into jujitsu, how we grow and based on our personalities and just our, what we take to, you know, so we're all learning. Like everyone has their things that we're known for on our team that are different and it's very unique, but we all know the same stuff, you know? So it's just what we take to is different. We don't have anything being forced on us. Like we're not all being forced to do bolos. We're not all being forced to, to do takedowns or to pull guard. You get to learn everything and pick what you want and grow your jujitsu based on what you think works for you and what you have success with and want to build on as you come up in the ranks. That's kind of how it is. So like coming up, I've learned every position that you could possibly think for the foundation and basics, but I, based on my personality and just how I am as a person, took to certain techniques and certain things that is what turned into what my game is today, you know? So you see a lot of different growth. So people like Malachi, who's known for his closed guard now, but back when he first started, he was more known for passing and doing takedowns and things. And it's just different. Like for me personally, I hated pulling guard up until my first year at Juvenile Worlds. I didn't pull guard at all. I was all judo and wrestling and trying to pass the guard. I hated being in my guard, but because we were learning everything, my jiu-jitsu was able to evolve over and over to where now I feel like I'm well-rounded in every aspect of jiu-jitsu. I don't have any spots where I'm uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think I can I can definitely see that in your game when you compete because even though you're known for like the lasso, the lapel, reverse de la Hiva stuff, when you get on top you can you can also tell that you're really comfortable passing the guard, doing a lot of different variations. So at what point do you feel like you kind of Came up with your game, like started specializing with the lasso, the lapel. Was that? I know, like you said, you were learning the basics all along. But um, yep. at what point did you really start to feel more comfortable with the stuff that you're known for right
1: now? Okay, so here's like the way my jujitsu is going, especially from the guard standpoint, is pretty like a very unique situation. So for me, growing up, I was very claustrophobic. So if I was on my back, if you were in half guard or something, there was pressure coming down, and I couldn't like free my face to breathe like fresh air I'd have to tap or or turn away or I'd be breaking down crying like I couldn't deal with it so my coach Donnie put a program in to help me kind of learn to deal with being claustrophobic like I would have be rolling with Malachi and he would go to half guard and from that if I couldn't get him out of half guard from bottom I would break down and I would not be able to operate so I ended up developing a really good half guard from that you know like knee shield half guard I developed it from that and from there I had certain things I developed from my guard is based around me being claustrophobic as a kid and not wanting people to close space. So I'm really like, I urgently don't let people close space on me. And that's just, it seems like more of a, like a good technique thing, but it started as me just not, I couldn't operate if you were that close to me. So I built framing and things that I prioritize, stuff like that. And then from there, a lot of the stuff I do in guard came from injuries because coming up, I did not stop training for anything. If I injured my right arm, I'm just going to be using my left arm in, in training. And it was kind of dumb in hindsight because I deal with a lot of health issues now stemming from how I used to train. But I can't really say I regret it because that turned me into the competitor I am today, you know. So I started playing half guard. And from there, I learned to play reverse De La Riva, But I, I played reverse De La with right leg and I injured my right knee really bad. And from there, I couldn't play it no more, so I had to start playing lasso guard with my left leg, and that's where I developed lasso guard from not being able to use my right leg at all. Like, I used to have to wear a knee brace for, like, I think it was a year and a half straight, and I didn't want to start training, so I had to learn how to grapple with my left leg. And before that, uh, I was having a hard time with Angelo. If, if Anyone that knows, knows Angelo, he's a yep. passing team, Beast. and I could not stop him from passing my guy. It would be the, the worst training. Like, I'd just be so... <laughs> hired after training so I started developing using the lapels into the guard that's kind of what inspired me I think I was a green belt at the time I started playing with the lapels and working this lapel guard and it worked almost too good like I could I could shut down all my training partners because it was something new and I would wrap the lapel around my legs or around their legs and they couldn't pass but I was told to kind of leave that alone because I wasn't developing my fundamentals I was relying on it and from there, I kind of put that away. And that's kind of just how my guard develops. So now when I get to black belt, I've had all these phases where I had to f- prioritize and focus on specific guards and things because of injuries or what I was told to focus on to where now I can play everything, you know, and that's just kind of how my game has evolved over the years.
0: Man, yeah, no, that's, that is so awesome. Can I just say something real quick? Yeah, go any? ahead, Jake. Um, go ahead. I, uh, so insane that you said that you had to, when you were a kid, find out ways to make yourself more effective. I ha- I did the same thing. And I, and I wonder how prevalent that is with ki- people who start out in kids' competitors. Because I started Jiu Jitsu, I met my coach when I was Yellow Belt, and I was very weak. I'm still very weak, but I'll say was <laughs> for the sake of making myself appear strong. Um, I was, so I had to make like, and I'm super tall and gangly, so I had to keep space as well. And my whole game, revolves around me keeping people in areas where I am stronger. So I make my jujitsu, like my jujitsu is based on leverage and grips so that I am strong. And I think that that's super interesting. You said that I actually would love to hear, um, we should probably do like a survey or something, Danny and see like, or, or some find out, have some interesting questions we can ask people where if you started out as a kid's competitor, I guarantee you had a phase where you had to find a way to quote unquote, cheat jujitsu a little bit. Like it's not really cheating. It's just putting yourself in a position where you can do jiu-jitsu better does that make sense am i am i am i yeah yeah, to find a
1: way to survive you know because as kids you just don't know what like you could be getting the same thing done to you in training and you just you know you're hearing what your coach is saying but it just in that moment you just feel like there's nothing you can do so you really like it really separates like those kids that are focused and dedicated to the ones that end up you know not wanting to do jiu-jitsu or things like that you have to find something that you could be confident in Mm -hmm. and then you build on that and once you learn that you can get through a situation it gives you that confidence and from there you can always refer to that moment where you overcame something that you felt was impossible to overcome and just keep applying that same concept over and over until you have a game you know i feel like a lot of people that start as kids come up like that you know there's no one not a lot of people just come up and they're just a prodigy you know like i didn't lose a lot when i first started competing but I was only doing takedowns and like I came from playing football. I would just tackle people and, and <laughs> make them stand back up and do it again over and over. But it started being when like the technical people and I would be training with the people that are more experienced than me. I really had to, to like really focus and find ways to to succeed on the man. It would be down to one or two moves at first. Mm hmm.
2: Yeah, I find that so fascinating. It seems like your game came up really. It was just you problem solving. Like you had all these bigger people that you were training with that were strong. They were probably older than you. So it was just you trying to find different ways to deal with all the problems presented in training. And that led to your like creativity and, and why your game is is like it is. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, it's really it really comes down to uh, Master Donnie, our coach, allowing us to not be like the same or, or robotic. You know, He let each person, he understood that I had phobia. so i was going to develop my jiu-jitsu different from say uh, angelo who was in a completely different scenario with what he was struggling with in jiu-jitsu or what he liked to do and we weren't all forced to you know be clones a lot of times you see uh certain people in teams and everyone on that team fights the exact same way you know and mm-hmm. it could be very good and successful but i just feel like allowing your competitors as they come up to really develop their own personality and their own way of interpreting their jujitsu and their personality on the mat is going to build a more long lasting game and a more versatile game at that.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I definitely, so I listened to the the interview you did with, with Tim Spriggs and Nico, the BGJ Goons podcast. I would definitely encourage people to listen to that. I think you did it about four or five months ago, but one thing that yeah. I found really interesting too, was about, you talked about, some of your early influences and two names that really stood out to me that you said you, you kind of tried to mimic, or at least you were watching them very closely growing up was Rodrigo Cavaca and Bruno Frazado. So can you talk a little Uh, bit more about, about those guys? Because I definitely,
1: yeah, go ahead. My first year at worlds that I got to watch, I went to worlds as a spectator in 2009. I competed in 2010 for the first time, but in 2009, I went to just watch because that was the first time I really, started seeing the elite level of jujitsu before then it was, I thought Grappler's quest was the biggest tournament on earth in Naga, you know? So once I got to go to worlds and I'm seeing it was Cabrinha and Bruno Frazada in the finals. And it was just like, my coach had a good like eye of being able to tell what weight class I was going to be in. So he was telling me like, you're probably going to end up in light feather or featherweight. And these are the guys. So I'm watching and I'm just blown away at like how different the jujitsu was at the elite level. And I'm seeing like Bruno Frazada was the first person I saw using lapels because he was using the lapel from the 50-50 to try to slow down Cabrini's pressure passing. And it was a lot of crazy stuff. And I was just, it just like completely blew me away how technical he was and how like my, my coach was telling me like Cabrini's pressure passing is incredible. And Bruno Frazada is trying to figure out something to do to combat it and to score from it. And I'm just analyzing all this stuff and getting inspired. And then, I look over and see Kavaka and he's ankle locking and triangling and he's a big, super ultra heavyweight competitor, but he's moving like a smaller person. You know, he's not, he's not doing a lot of pressure passing stuff. He's very mobile on his back and he's playing spider guard and these guards that you don't see a lot of the bigger competitors doing. And it was just amazing to me, like just seeing the confidence for one and just the way that they were able to develop techniques to overcome problems, you know, and like, those Cabrinha-Bruno-Frazada matches were all down to the wire. It was I think that was the year where Bruno was winning up until the last few seconds, and then Cabrinha got him in the toehold. And it was just crazy to me to be able to watch it. And I would always come home from those tournaments really inspired to, you know, work on my game and to, you know, try to be like those guys. And another one was uh, Boralio watching live, watching how he played his guard and was just super – open it was just a lot of crazy underneath things and the leg locks and just the way he was flowing throughout his submissions and stuff it was really inspiring and i remember i walked up and talked to brawlio after i want to say it was the year i won juvenile in 2012 i remember i believe he got silver that year and he made a joke he was asking me to trade medals and i just remember <laughs> the impact of being able to you know back in the day it was after the black belts all the black belts are down on the floor area. And for me, I would go down there and try to talk to as many black belts as I could. You know, I try to go talk to Fabio Gargel, I try to go talk to Tarsus and Brawlio. And I and just try to go find the guys that I was watching and just, you know, they were like celebrities to me. They were the biggest celebrity to me because for me, Jiu Jitsu was the biggest sport. So I I like these guys more than anybody I could see on TV. So it was just amazing that these guys were able to talk. They like they let me come ask them questions and talk and it just really showed me and inspired me to want to keep pursuing jujitsu, you know? So, like, those were the first guys that I saw live. And my coach always had me watch Tatterday, Jacare, and those guys on film because I never really got to watch them fight live. But those are a lot of my influences coming up, yeah.
2: For sure. Yeah. Yeah, those are some pretty pretty awesome influences and like so many different styles in that group that you named. Do you feel like when you were coming up too, like were you still, like as you were going through the belts, like blue, purple, you were winning Worlds at all these lower belts. Were you still watching those same guys or were you kind of watching the newer black belts too? Was there anyone a little bit after that generation um, that really inspired you?
1: Not the black belts, man. For me, the second I started going to Worlds, I would watch every single day of the Worlds and Pans Like they were all black belts because to me, I'm in juvenile. Every person on that mat that's above juvenile is something I need to try to be like or to be better than. So I'm watching everybody. I'm watching who's winning blue belt, purple belt. So I got to watch the meows come up from purple belt. I knew who Marcio Andre was from blue belt. He was in the same division as my teammate at blue belt juvenile. So I knew who he was from the start and I was able to see like his style for me. Marcio was one of the guys that wasn't a black belt that I looked up to a lot. And it was just crazy being able to actually compete against him, you know. And even with Cabrinha, like, I came up from idolizing these guys to studying these guys to trying to figure out how I'm going to beat these guys when I get to that, that to Black Belt, if they're still competing, you know. So it just came full circle for me. So those guys, I would say from younger, like newer Black Belts coming up, I started seeing the Michael Langies on the way up, you know, the Lucas Lapreze, those guys closing out those divisions and scrapping, Gilbert Burns. For me, I would say my favorite younger guy was Crying though. I just I just always admired how he always kept it basic, but like almost flawless in how his placement, his foot placements, his hip movement, and how he he didn't allow you to close the space. It was super like fundamental jujitsu. Like he barely grabbed like grips, like the sleeve grips yeah. and things. He's just framing it it's almost like he's doing nogi with the gi on and he's just able to he'll get you in a certain position like his guillotine or his, uh, scissor sweep from clothes guard and those like things you would think are basic jujitsu. And he's making it work all the way up into the elite level. And I just got, I was able to, you know, admire that. And I actually, it was me and Malachi. We were like super big Kron fans and one year worlds. He was sitting right behind us and we just turned and just fanboyed out. And he ended up giving Malachi like his hat that he was wearing. And just from those moments, like, it's one thing to be able to watch these guys, but then when you meet them and they're not jerks and they're just really nice people and they're, they understand like you're looking up to them and they, they kind of, they don't take lightly to that. You know, they kind of, they talk to you and they give you advice that you can carry for years, you know? And I was able to, to get that from a lot of the, the guys coming up, but Kron was a big one. I watched Leandro Lowe from, from like when he started black belt all the way to where he is now, a lot of the guys, Bruno, uh, Bruno Malfusine, Kyle Terra. I've seen that. I've watched every every black belt match from 2009 to now. I've seen every single match that I could see, you know, like I've seen so many different phases of Jujitsu, and I just kind of I take it all in. You know, I learned I can learn from the guy who lost in the first round just as much as I can learn from the guy who won the finals. You know, I watch every match, you know, and I try to learn as much as I can.
2: That's incredible. Do you, do you feel like you still do that? Like if, when you go to the Worlds now as a black belt and, you know, you're winning these huge divisions, you still kind of go back and watch some of the blue, purple, brown belts?
1: Yeah. And I still watch it from a student mindset. I, I'm able to flip a switch, you know, like I'm still watching these guys. Like I don't even though I like when I fought Cabrini before I had the match against him. I'm still watching him at the tournament as a student and I'm watching him navigate the division and fighting these guys. I'm like, man, I'm going to fight this guy. And I'm seeing and I'm, it's motivating me because it's like my coach told me before and it kind of flipped the switch for me. He was like, man, we've been watching him for for years. You know, you know, this game, you, you've you been studying it for years. I want you to now think of it instead of l- trying to learn and idolize and copy, try to go out there and beat beat this game that you've been watching for years, you know. And that's how I was watching Hoff and Cabrinha all the way up. Like I was watching all the battles and. For him, when my coach told me that right before I went to fight, Cabrini, it kind of flipped the switch where like I've been watching every match. So now it's time for me to start watching it as something to be like and try to learn to. Now is that moment to go be like this or to try to be better, you know, and it really kind of gave me that motivation to just go out there and not be nervous or, or, you know, timid in any way. It's like, man, I've been watching these guys. Now I'm ready to to jump out here and be a part of this. And try to you know do something special on the mat. So that's just kind of how I was, and I'm like to the day. Like I watch every fight on or most of the fights on Fight to Win. I try to watch every fight on Fight to Win. Everything that has Jujitsu, I'm watching it. You know, if I can get to it, if I'm not busy and doing something, I'm watching it. It's either on in the background, I'm listening to just the audio, the commentators talking about it, or I'm watching it like with intent to. To learn, you know, if I guess if somebody does something I've never seen, I'm not I don't I'm not arrogant to where I'm going to fake like it's something that I know. If I saw something brand new, I'm going to record it, send it to my coach or I will will send it to somebody. And I'm like, oh, we're going to see how this works out in training tomorrow. We're going to we're going to go over this position and try to see if this is something to add into our games. Like I'm always trying to like uh, add to my game in that way. Like I'll learn from anybody, whether it's a match that somebody used to beat me. I've done stuff like that where someone used something to beat me that was something I wasn't uh, like either something I didn't respect or something I wasn't aware of. I'll add it right into my game if it's something that that adds to my game. Like I, that's how I view jujitsu. It's all learning for me. It's
0: awesome. No wonder you're world champion. (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say, like, man, jeez, I'm out here listening to the commentators. Like sometimes that's hard, you know. It's not gonna be hard on April third.
1: there's there's definitely some there's definitely a a difference in the commentators like for me i like having guys that have active competition experience or are some of these legendary figures because they can break down jujitsu in a way that you don't like you don't just see what they're saying you have to hear them and then you're able to see what's on the map versus someone Mm -hmm. just saying stuff that you already are seeing you know it's a difference to me So, like, when I've had – I commentated one time for a spider event. I thought I did terrible because I'm just out here just saying, like, I have a different mindset because I'm like, man, I'm watching this as if I'm competing and I'm able to, to kind of figure out the mindset and what these guys are thinking and I'm able to predict what's going to happen down the line. And then I go and read, like, the comments about it. People are like, oh, man, we love that. You know, that's kind of how I like commentating. I want you to be able to tell me something that I may not be able to see because you're a competitor and you understand something that the average fan is not going to be able to understand on the match, you know?
3: hundred
2: percent. I think I was one of the people commentating saying that I liked it because your commentary was awesome. I love the insight. Like you said, being an active competitor, you just brought a a different flavor to the commentary that sometimes, I mean, commentators are always doing the best they can, but like you said, sometimes it's more just play by play. It's not this insight that comes from a place of experience. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: important that way, you know? And like, like you said, um, I mean, shoot, dude, me and you, me and you are the few, the proud, the Americans, man. Out here, trying to, <laughs> out here, trying to get that top level. It's hard out here, and it is, uh, I'm trying to fill the void of commentary. I'm putting the duty. You know, I'm trying to do my best too. And you definitely did an awesome job. You had John Evans too. John Evans, uh, I, yeah. I have like, he's taken not taking me under his wing. I have forced myself under his wing. I have found no, his wing. He's
1: the guy, man. He, he was like the original. He was the the OG of the commentary. And he just, he did a great job helping me. Cause I was, I was a nervous wreck. I, I hate public speaking. Like I was, I didn't know what to talk about. And he was just like, man, you do all this jujitsu, just speak, say what you see. And he did a great job, like helping me get through that and be able to learn to where now I look forward to doing event, doing more commentary stuff in the future. Like it's something that interests me where before I was I was doing it because Spider asked, and they're my sponsor, and I didn't want to tell them no. But I was, I was a nervous wreck doing it.
0: <laughs> All right, well, yeah, sure you did a good crazy. job. You did a good job. It's definitely a very enjoyable thing as well, I think, and it's, uh, it speaks a lot. Like, I think, uh, this kind of ties into, uh, you enjoy coaching, yes?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. So
0: think about this. Your ability to articulate jujitsu goes, in my opinion, it goes a little hand in hand with how your ability to even perceive jujitsu in the first place. You not everybody, yeah. not every athlete is marketable as an athlete and a coach. But those few and far between athletes who are both amazing coaches and amazing athletes, uh, I think that they're the ones that take this sport further than just an athlete.
1: Yeah, yeah. And for me, I think it comes a lot from the fact that I teach kids. That's like, mm. I teach more kids than adults. I'm the I'm learning to under Mastodon's wing on how he was a kids instructor and brought up our kids team to be in a small team from the East coast, to be able to do a lot of big things on the international level. So when you teach kids, man, it's very hard. I'm sure Hector knows from experience, like teaching kids is a lot different because you have to be, yes. you have to be precise, but you also have to be able to, to articulate it in a way that they can understand it no matter if they're a four-year-old or a 16 year old. So it's, And then you have to be able to go to Pan Kids where, and, uh, you know, be able to coach these kids and have them raise and have everyone screaming and for them to not get overwhelmed like that. The hardest thing for me in jujitsu is coaching the Pan Kids. I've not done a single, I've coached up into the semifinals of Black Belt Worlds and Pan Am's finals at Black Belt. I've coached my teammates before and nothing is harder than coaching at the Pan Kids because it's just a, (laughs) You're dealing with children, you're dealing with their parents in the stands, you're dealing with like the nervousness and trying to get through like these kids is different. And I feel like being able to do that is what's helped me be able to coach uh, adults and people my age better. And then to be able to go commentate and break down jujitsu and videos and things like that. For me, it all comes from learning to coach kids.
0: You know? Yeah, we're all kids coaches here.
1: And that's and that's true because, you know, of course,
3: I I focus more on, on uh, building all the the next generation blue belts juveniles and all the ones that come from orange belts and i felt like even for myself when i was teaching at covrinas the kids class and learn me how to be uh, teaching kids how to stay calm and be patient yeah. and that kind of goes into a competitor's like if you're at the highest level learning how to stay calm and in, in bad situations and and being patient you're gonna see the holes open up as you're competing so again yeah both ways but i think it's important for anybody to learn how to stay calm try to deal with a three-year-old kid running around circles for a half yeah
1: not easy if if i can get one of our five or six-year-olds through the pan kids without crying or or you know giving up (laughs) and not wanting to compete then i feel like i can coach anybody or commentate anything else jujitsu wise i'll be fine
0: i am Sure. Some, sometimes it's just that four-year-old man. That four-year-old doesn't speak English yet for some reason, and you <laughs> got to try to articulate how to do a key lock to them. You're like, man, that is a victory. My Tuesday was made when I taught that yeah, kid how to do that that key it's, lock.
1: It's different, especially when you get to see them succeed and, and enjoy what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's for me. I honestly like I don't know if I enjoy coaching or competing more. And I, for me to say that's a lot because I love c- competing. Like it's mm-hmm. it's up there for me. So, but I've learned to love coaching as well.
0: Well, dude, it's crazy being a part of these kids' lives. Like, like you said before, you'll take the principles and the concepts and the work ethic you learn in jiu-jitsu and apply it to something you may want to do in life. You don't, you're not necessarily equipping these kids to be jiu-jitsu athletes. You're equipping these future adults to not suck. You know, like that's pretty much it.
1: You can right change now. lives. I'm in the room, my guy right here. I've known the... this guy since he was four years old. He's – how old are you? He's 18 now. I've known him for his entire life. I've known his little sister since before she was born, you know, mm-hmm. like, and be able to see them come up in the program and build those relationships and just learning how to coach at all different aspects. I just feel like it really helps motivate you in jujitsu beyond just competing. For me, if you only are focused on competing and that's it and it's completely, like, uh, selfish, it's going to be hard to go far in, in jujitsu. Mm-hmm.
2: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, so uh, that, that's really cool. I love hearing about all the coaching with the kids and stuff. And another thing I want to bring up um, with you is you recently started uh, a Facebook group um, kind of to branch into like online coaching. So when did that idea kind of come about and why did you choose to focus on the, the lasso position? For for people who haven't seen it, it's, um, it's a lasso Facebook group to kind of troubleshoot some issues and for Jamil to answer questions, stuff like that.
1: Um, I've been supposing I was supposed to do this stuff so long ago (laughs) and for me the pandemic was bad in a lot of ways but the one positive I could take out of it is it slowed everything down for me to where I had a lot of time to really focus on a lot of the things that I would never choose to focus on when I'm competing more frequently you know when I'm competing it's like I'm coaching I'm competing I'm trying to keep my body right I didn't have a lot of time to focus on business and teaching I barely did any seminars and things like that and for me everything slowed down so I was able to focus on a lot of stuff I was supposed to do this I was supposed to have a lasso instructional out in 2018 and I just never like prioritized putting my focus into it but now that everything's kind of slowed down and I can prioritize and and allocate my focus across more because I have more time in the day I'm getting into a lot of the stuff i was supposed to do so I have a lasso instructional that I'm editing is already filmed and I'm in a process of editing everything now. And the Facebook group, the lasso syndicate that I started was just to kind of bring together people that have similar focus and to just be able to, for me, I like sharing as much knowledge. I don't care if you're going to fight me in two weeks in the tournament. I don't care if you're going to go tell somebody to try to defeat that and beat me at a tournament. I'm down for the advancement of jujitsu across all fields. So I would like when I go to seminars, I'm known for over delivering in terms of I give you exactly what I'm doing in the tournament. I'm answering every question. I will sit there for 6 hours if there's still people that want to learn from me, you know. So I'm just putting that into this group and I put that into this instructional and I just focused on the lasso position because I mean that's kind of what I've been known for since I got to black belt. And like I that's what people seem to be wanting to know the most from me right now. So I'm going to give people what they want. I'm going to show them my lasso guard in its entirety. And this group is just to kind of lead people into that and to kind of share my knowledge and just help people out until the instructional is ready. So, yeah, it's it's called the Lasso Syndicate. You know, I'm a, I'm trying to be really interactive and build a, a community and try to share some of that kind of family feel that I, I grew up in on a team with a community with people that support me and that, you know, want to stay in tune with the things I'm doing in jujitsu.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. For anyone who's interested in joining, I can attest to the fact that Jameel responds to all the posts on there. He get it's not just like, hey, a cool post. It's like a literal like paragraph. If people have questions, so he's definitely very heavily involved in it. I think it's such a cool idea too, especially before your Lasso DVD comes out, you can kind of give people almost like a preview of all the knowledge you have. Yeah. And it,
1: and, yeah. Yeah, and I was putting a lot of stuff on. I was kind of getting back on Instagram active again, just showing my ability because I realized I haven't done a lot of stuff to where people can know my ability of coaching and competing. You know, I came up as a kid. I have a lot of jujitsu and I've been around a lot of great coaches that are either on the team or not on the team. You know, I've been around a lot of great guys in jujitsu to where I've learned how to coach pretty well and, and share my jujitsu in a very articulate manner. So I'm just trying to show that to the world, you know, and, and being able to build a community around that.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. So, J- Jaker Hector, do you guys have any questions? I feel like I've been hogging the mic the whole interview.
3: Hector? Have, I'm curious what Jamil wants on the
1: first round. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, man, uh, let me think. If I, would, if I would be able to choose my first round matchup, it's of course going to be against one of the guys that I've lost to because – for me, like my style of jujitsu, I don't care if I lose to you a hundred times. That hundred and first time, I'm coming at you nice. with everything I got, and I'm going to try to beat you. So, of course, those would be Jonathan Alves or Gianni, because those are the most recent people in that group that I've lost to, or period that I've lost to in that in that matchup. I want to say, yeah, and I've had some really close matches with Isaac. I don't think I performed as good as I. Could have or that I I should have the last time I fought Isaac, so I would love to have that match back. But I always want to focus on the matches I lost. I lost to Mateus Gabriel it was a really close and controversial match at Pan Twenty Nineteen. So I would love to be able to have that match back. Me and him joke about it all the time. Like <laughs> he's a like for me. Like I on the mat, I'm down for trying to take your head off off the mat. I'm I'm cool. Like we can talk about the matches. Like I've talked to Gianni after our matches so many times and. You know, like me and Mateus are cool, like we we joke and, and troll each other and, and talk mm-hmm. about jiu-jitsu all the time. But when we get on the match, it's time to go to war. So like we talked about it, like I we want that to go again after he won worlds and when I couldn't compete after I had that emergency surgery. I walked right over to him and I was like, Man, we're gonna we're gonna have this match back. It's gonna be the two world champs going at it. So that was supposed to be twenty twenty worlds in my eyes. And the last time I fought Gianni I want to say it was Pan's 2018 and we lost. I lost him in the finals and it was a super close match and I feel like I made a lot of mistakes there. So for me, if I had to pick, it would be one of the guys that I lost to, of course, that I would want that match back. Nice. So well, it would either be Jonathan or Gianni. What, uh, if you were in the back and you're not
3: fighting, what matchup would pull you out of the locker room and bring you out to see it?
2: Great of the- question.
1: Ooh. Like what? From I have two sides to it. From a pure scrap, like what match is going to be crazy to watch? I would say like either Andy and Mateus, or uh, Mateus and uh, Marcio rematch because their match at Fight to Win was crazy. Their insane. match at Worlds was crazy. That submission came out of nowhere, and I feel like those two guys' styles really are all about, like, just going at going at each other. Like, you're going to have to show me what you got. I'm not holding back. I'm not going to hold you down. Now, from a pure technical, like, what may not be the most interesting to watch, but for me, it'll just be a lot of small micro-transition, micro-details to be able to see. It'll probably be, like, uh, Andy and Jonathan or Gianni versus one of those two guys. I feel like those would be, like, super Technical matches where it may be one small thing that you probably can't even see that determines the pace of that match, especially since they have similar uh, styles and what their their a games are.
3: Mm-hmm. But yeah,
1: those would be those would be the matches that I would <laughs> I would see. And I'll be out whenever my match. I'm gonna go out there fight my match, and when my match is done, I'll be right there watching every other match. <laughs> and I'm, like I said, I'm a fan of the sport above all things, and I'm I'm a student of the game. I'll be right there, win, lose, or draw after my match watching every single match as both a student and as a competitor, you know, and as a fan. We'll, we'll have that chair waiting for you right there.
0: Heck yeah. Yeah, I would like to see Murasaki versus, or not Murasaki, um, Jonathan Alves versus Tiago Macedo too. I think Macedo's back defense yeah, might that an exciting match, man. to be honest.
1: Tiago Macedo's, like, his honor game, devil, his defensive game is crazy, man. I've had, I want to say I've had four matches with him and I think I've only scored points twice in those <laughs> four matches. Everything else was advantages, man. It, he's super scrappy, and it's just hard to get any leverage on him. And he's just always ready to explode out and score. So, like, everyone in that division I've had crazy matches with, you know, except for Andy, and I'm sure if we had a match, it would be a crazy match there. So, it's just going to be crazy mm-hmm. matchups all over the place.
0: Well, What's this question? whole event. Okay, okay, go. sorry.
3: I got this one because I'm curious. If the, somebody fell out and we needed an alternate, who would you want to come in as an alternate?
2: Another great question.
1: <laughs> Ooh. So I make sure. And you got, at this weight class, there's so many dogs. You have Levi, who's just a, a animal. Levi's a, a beast. There's LaPree. Yeah, Lucas Valenti. All the lightweight guys, you got a lot, there's Kennedy. There's a lot of the featherweight guys. Like I have never got a match with me and Kennedy have yet to have a match together. And he's a beast where he's a featherweight beast. So Kennedy would be in would be somebody that would be crazy to have in there. Um trying to think. Because I honestly I haven't been able to fight a lot of the guys in my weight class. I fought a lot of the same guys. You know, I fought Gianni a lot. I fought Massetto a lot. I fought Isaac and Jonathan a few times, but I haven't gotten to fight a lot of the guys in the the complete division. You know, and there's Caxinho. i I've I've only fought Caxinho My first black belt tournament at Pans, I got DQ'd. I would love to be able to potentially get that match back. Um,
2: Tanquino back in the game.
1: I yeah. tried. Yeah, I tried. That was hey, that was my try. dream ADCC matchup, man. I really wanted to go against Tanquinho. Like my main motivation in that was, man, I want to fight in the finals against Tanquino. I want to have a match with him.
3: I've tried three times already. I'm
1: still working on it, but I've tried. three times. <laughs> man, would be a, that would be a crazy one too. Or even if, if like it's crazy, but if Hoffa was willing to come out of retirement, that's that's probably going to go down as the one match that I'm going to be so upset that I lost those first two years at adult blue to where I got my black belt one year later. (laughs) Like I I look back to the smallest things like that. Like in my eyes, I was always a year behind because me and Mikey came out of juvenile at the same time, but he uh, went straight to purple and I lost my first year at adult blue when I was supposed to be one of the guys meddling or winning that division. So I always considered myself a year behind. And I'm like, man, if I would have handled my business, I may have been able to get a match with Hoffa before like in that last year, I may have been able to be in the same division. Same with uh Mario Hayes too. These are guys yeah. like that featherweight division. There's so many people that I haven't been able to fight that were like legends in that division for me. With the Tanquinhos, Mario Hage, Hoffa, Kexinho, I was able to have matches with like Izak uh, Paeva and Cascal, uh, which were some of the legends in that division coming up. But to be able to get the match with the rest of those guys that help motivate even like a bruno forzada the guys that help really motivate me and give me something to look look up to coming up matches with those guys are the things i look forward to potentially getting the most so if any of those guys will be able to come in i would be that would be crazy exciting you know but like i said the division's already almost as it's as crazy as it could be you know this entire
0: event and its matchups hinge on the fate of the balls (laughs) i've been waiting for so long to say that joke you
2: have no idea i waited at
0: least 15 minutes to say that
3: (laughs) oh my god that's
2: amazing all right jake do you have any any more questions for jamil
0: no i have i have none i have no more questions just uh jamil um i'll extend the same uh thanks and gratitude to you that I extend to all of our guests, uh, like we said, Open Guard Cast, and why one of the reasons you know, we we match Hector's enthusiasm and, and gall for the Jiu-Jitsu community. Uh, we really want to improve uh, the lives of other people. We love our community. We want other people to be introduced to Jiu-Jitsu, and we want Jiu-Jitsu to be introduce, introduced to other people, and we know that you are all about that, too. You're all about improving the lives of everybody around you, so if you need any help promoting anything you're doing, uh, if you... Want us to help out in any way? Share anything? Uh, we are 100% down to be furthering projects with with you and with Hector, with everybody we come across in this podcast. We're all about breaking down boundaries and making new friendships. So just let us know, man. And uh, yeah, everybody, please follow him. Uh, say, who do you have? Anybody you wanna? Any sponsors you wanna thank? Anybody you wanna shout out?
1: Uh, yeah, you know my sponsors, Spider. They've done a lot for me over the years. They were the first sponsor to reach out to me before I even competed my first match at black belt. So I'm always grateful to them. Monkey tape, the Armbar soap company. They've been support all those companies. They've been supporting me for years and they're great people. Also, I want to thank EUG promotions and Hector for really putting on a great show and giving us a great opportunity to display our jujitsu, especially in a time like now where there's not a lot of events going on, especially events on this level that are really taking jujitsu to the next level. And, uh, as always, shout out to Team Lloyd Irving Kids. You know, that's what keeps me motivated every day and gives me something to look forward to, inspiring the next generation. I still train in the kids' classes to this day while I'm teaching, so it's it's a lifelong thing for me. So always shout out to TLI Kids, Master Lloyd, Master Donnie, and, and everyone that's been a part of my journey so far.
0: All right. Danny?
2: Uh, go ahead. Do you want to all shout right. out our sponsors, Jake? And then I'll I do want to shout out <laughs> our sponsors.
0: First of all, I want to shout out the Open GuardCast, the official sponsor of EUG Promotions. We want to thank Hector for believing in us and giving us a voice so that we can make sweet love to the airwaves. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> We want to thank Electrum Performance, who is the thickest, meanest, leanest program of strength and conditioning you can get commercially available on the iTunes App Store. You can use also our website at G- Open twenty five. Listen, bud, I was getting to it. All right, <laughs> Jujitsu X, the company which there's a single I guess instructional just came out lately, but I'll let you guys figure that out on your <laughs> own. <coughs> Jake Watson, single <laughs> Expressway, use your dis oh there's no discount code anymore, but you can use the uh, uh you can go to jujitsux.com and get their uh, lecture performances new program that they just put up too. They're doing amazing things. And we love them very much. We also want to thank Agro Brand, Eddie Welch, you handsome dude. Thank you for making. Our logo, and for just having our backs for a long time now, we love and appreciate you. Fit cryo hi to your photography, Marcio Andre Academy and Maracaba BJJ. My name has uh, has been and will continue to be Jake Watson. <laughs> I'm always joined by Danny O'Donnell, my better half on this podcast. and uh, yeah, thank you, gentlemen for for being here and for being a part of this ragtag production. <laughs> Danny O'Donnell
2: yeah, so thanks, everyone for listening. We really appreciate all the support. This has been episode eighty one with Shane Jamil Hill Taylor. Follow him on Instagram, Go to Facebook, join his Lasso Syndicate group. Um, you'll definitely see a lot of value in that group. and like like Shane mentioned, he'll be releasing his Lasso DVD soon, so you'll be able to get more information about that in the Facebook group as well. So thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we will see you guys all soon.